This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Our intern just tried to bust a Millie Rock to a gospel chant. When you got oh. Jesus Christ in your life, you're Millie Rock like you ain't never died. Oh, my goodness. All right, guys. Thank you, White Jesus. We are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz. He's on the PC ones and twos. So that means we'll get a mix of funny music. Ratchet music, probably whatever country song Stanley wants to play, and some Taylor Swift. So thank him for the music selection. I actually um, deleted Dark, Dark Becky from the um, playlist, so there will be no Dark Taylor Swift. Becky? Darth Becky. Oh, yes. Darth? Oh, my. That's yes. what you call Taylor, Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift is an upcoming generation of problematic white women who I love and hate. So At the same damn time. That's right. And we deleted her from the playlist. Today. All right. Aw. It's only Hood Rat and Hennessy Mixture Music. All right. And we also have Alyssa Fuchs, Esquire, our resident legal scholar Esquire. here with us. Morning. Did I not say that you right? You said Esquire. <laughs> so I anyway, and we have Asana on the, on uh, she's our intern and she's on our my laptop, actually. So <laughs> if you fancy with your PC, huh? Why you keep silly? Do you want to buy me a Mac for my late belated birthday gift you didn't get me? Is that what you're trying to insinuate here? Attention, Stanley Hive. Please <laughs> donate money to me so that I can get Selena Hill a MacBook. Not one of them old MacBooks, but the new one with the touchscreen. Selena needs that. So Stanley Hive. I know there's like Stanley one Hive? That. Yeah, which I can't. It's just Marilyn and who else? Stanley Marilyn is not in the Stanley Hive. She does not support me. <laughs> <laughs> right, and neither do I. All right, guys. So if you have no, that been was a burn. Yeah, a little bit. Um, if you have been horrified by the thought of a Trump presidency, then here's even more reason why we should all be preparing for the worst. So last week, we here at Let Your Voice Be Heard, we made an effort to process some of the feelings we had after grappling with the grim reality that Donald Trump will be leading our country and the free world for the next four years. Today... We're going to tell you how how and why his administration may be even more troubling than some of the disparaging comments he made throughout the election season. So even though Trump frequently made comments that criticized or bashed Islamic Americans, immigrants, Latinos, and we know all of the misogynistic things he continued to say and continues to say, um, the people that he's considering to pick um, for his administration or run the country, they actually take in action to hurt these people so donald trump says all this crazy stuff i'm gonna build a wall mexicans are drug dealers and rapists um i I like to sexually assault women etc but like the people he's actually choosing if you look at their track record which we're gonna do here you'll see why we should actually be more scared than we already were it's like the dream team of the kkk I, I mean, or oh, the alt-right, yeah, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, that's what it is. So last week, Trump t- chose Stephen Brannon who, Brannon, who was Trump's campaign director and the former executive chairman of Breitbart News. He's going to be his chief strategist. Now, Breitbart News has a, a history of publishing incendiary and extremely divisive news stories that are either uh, misogynistic, racist, outright anti-Semitic, medic they're really bad for example one headline that was published on breitbart news was birth control makes women unattractive and crazy then they had another news story going there 
What'd you say, Stanley? They got something going there. Oh, you believe that? No, I don't believe that, Selena. I'm joking. I, I, I've questioned, I question your sanity at times, Stanley. Listen, don't <laughs> listen to me again. I lost one girlfriend in college because of you. Oh, yeah, you did. Well, okay, we won't take it there again. Yeah. And then another headline is something uh, was, uh, would you rather your child had feminism or cancer? What? Yeah, Breitbart News for you. That's Breitbart News. Pretty bad, right? So they, um, in addition to Steve Brannon, um, Ryson... What? Priebus. Rice No, it's Rance Priebus. Rance Priebus. Sorry, guys. Why are you adding words? <laughs> I, I'm just confused, though, because we've talking, been talking about Rance Priebus for, like, a long time now, so... It's not like I don't know. First, <laughs> but anyway, he's the chairman of the Republican National Committee. He's been picked to be Donald Trump's chief of staff, right? And just a few days ago, President-elect Donald Trump, he chose three senior cabinet appointments. He chose retired Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn as his national security advisor. He chose Kansas Rep. Mike Pompeo to be the new director of the CIA. And Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions will be Trump's attorney general. The guy that said that... Well, the only not, thing that, that's also incorrect. He that's not, that's won't, just a pick? It's just a pick. It's he has to be pick. confirmed by the Senate. Yeah, the same guy that said that the only thing he doesn't like about the KKK is that they smoke weed. Right. Yeah, so we'll definitely talk more about that. Um, we'll also, again, talk about what his presidency means for people of color, our health care, our economy. There's definitely a lot here. And again, guys, you can call in and let your voice be heard at 212-650-6903. And you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And uh, <laughs> you can also um, leave comments on Alyssa's fan page, Politically Preposterous, on Facebook. And if you're watching us via Facebook live stream, leave your comments there, right there on the stream. So I want, yes, Stanley? I'm sorry, just real quick, I want to say hi to everyone from Politically Preposterous who's listening to the show because you guys always listen and we love you. Definitely. Okay, so I want to start this conversation um, talking about Trump's cabinet pit picks we know automatically that um steve brannon he has ties like i mentioned to the alt-right he's actually bragged that breitbart news which is what he was um he was he was the head of that news outlet he said it's the platform for the alt-right um he's also one of the chief architects of the alt-right now we talked about what the alt-right is um and let your voice be heard we talked about it i think like a few months ago and basically it's a white nationalist movement that is extremely anti-Semitic, racist, and sexist, and I'm, they have a lot of followers, and these are the people that went Shocking. really hard yeah. to elect president-elect Donald Trump. So um, I wanted to, you know, pretty much ask you guys, what do, you know, these cabinet members say about Donald Trump's priorities when it comes to how he's going to lead the nation? Well, I think I think that um, some in defense, not my defense, but the defense that we've heard of Donald Trump has been, well, we don't know how he's going to be, right? He's a wild card. We don't know. He has no history in politics. But what he's doing is aligning himself with some pretty seriously conservative right-wing um, potential cabinet members, right? So he's starting to tell us as a country what kind of president he's going to be. And so that's why these appointments, I think, are so important. Yeah, I think that's correct. I mean, I had that conversation with somebody the other day and they were basically like, but we don't know what's going to happen yet. You know, then I was like, yeah, but here's the thing. Like, but we do because, well, OK, you're right. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we can glean what's going to happen based on who he picks. When you pick a racist to run, for example, the 
uh, to be the attorney general, to run the Department of Justice, then what you're going to have is you're going to have a retooling of priorities. Unlike now with the Obama administration, where they are actively, the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice is actively investigating police departments like they did in Ferguson, for example. They are actively caring about civil rights violations, about voting rights violations, etc. And then you appoint somebody like Jeff Sessions, which, as I already pointed out, it's he's not necessarily yet going to be the AG. He still needs to be confirmed. But when you appoint somebody like that, it says what your priorities is. It says that you want to have a Department of Justice that's going to prosecute people, but that's not necessarily going to look into civil rights violations, voting rights violations. He's anti-marijuana. It says you might have a Department of Justice that's not going to respect states' rights when it comes to the legalization of marijuana, like has been done under the Obama administration. Like when you pick somebody that doesn't believe in climate change to lead the EPA, which is another one of his appointments, which I know we're going to get to later in this segment, that dictates what your policies are going to be. So, yes, people are correct. He is a wild card. We don't know what's happening, but we also can't stick our head in the sand and pretend like, oh, well, we just don't know what's happening because that's not true. We can make educated guesses about what's happening based on the people he's picking to hold these positions. So everyone's saying that we should give Donald Trump a chance and, you know, we should wait to see what he does. Donald Trump is trying to recruit a team of garbage white people to run the country and not just any kind of garbage white people, racist garbage white people like Jeff Sessions, who thinks the KKK is not that bad except for that they smoke weed. And Steve Bannon, who didn't he took his kids out of a school because there were too many Jews in them. And he also runs Breitbart. So I'm sitting here not really surprised, but just mostly frustrated with the Uncle Tom's who said Donald Trump would be good for black people and the stupid white people who thought that he helped them. Right. No, I mean, that's that's pretty much correct. And I just wanted to add the fact that Donald Trump has appointed Steve Brannon as his uh, chief strategist and seen in a part of his uh, senior counsel team. Um, that also gives Donald Trump direct access to a uh, prominent media outlet that will be used to shape his public image and perception. So that means that when Donald Trump puts out a press statement or he does something really stupid or crazy or offensive because he has direct ties to breitbartnews.com they can shape that and use it as propaganda well, I mean, only knuckle dragging man is eating white people read Breitbart. That's not, well, that's, not, that's not true. That's not well, true. Well, see, that's the problem. That's the problem. When you right. assume that, then you well, get uh, it wrong. Let me, let me clarify. People who read Breitbart are knuckle dragging stupid white people in Uncle Tom's. Well, Breitbart <laughs> has actually reached more than 17 million readers in an average month. And 60 million people voted for Trump, and they're all... Right, so what deplorable. I'm trying to say is that they're, they're significant. People, not everybody is subscribing to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Not everyone knows that what they're doing is just fueling a propaganda system that was used to elect Donald Trump and is now going to be used to um, pretty much have him shaped into a, like a marvelous light. Let me clarify. The knuckle-dragging people who read Breitbart are not necessarily all horrible. They're just stupid. Well, it's not Basically. to defend people that are reading Breitbart, right? Like, it's it's a matter of, you can call them names all you want, but these are the people that decided this election, yeah, right? Yes, so we got to be screwed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, you know, I don't, I don't know. But I, here's the thing. Like, this is part of the this is part of the problem with the left, which is like the left did not pay attention to people's economic concerns. The biggest the biggest thing that's come out of the data that from the election is that the number one reason why people in the Rust Belt states jumped ship from Hillary and voted for Trump is because she did not talk about the economy enough. It's the, the it's been studied. It's been looked at for the past two weeks. There's numerous amounts of data to support it. You can give me any face you want to give me, Stanley. But the fact of the matter 
matter is, is Bernie Sanders spoke to those people and Hillary Clinton did not. Let me clarify so, my stance You don't have here. to keep clarifying by saying the same thing. Well, let me clarify my stance over here. This is not about being left. I'm a black man who has a serious problem with a white supremacist running our country as of January 19th. And I don't care what any poll says. What I heard from this racist piece of orange trash was that he wanted to deport immigrants and he wanted to ban Muslims from this country. So because people from the quote-unquote Rust Belt care about the economy, they voted for Trump, mm-hmm. even though every single thing he's ever proposed has clearly shown it will be detrimental to the economy. I'm not with it. I don't care what the polls say. The polls are wrong about him winning the, winning it's not, the election. No, I'm not saying the polls. So, These are studies. So They're not polls. Studies, whatever you want to call so, it. Like, I'm going to be very clear about what this is and where I stand from now up until this piece of garbage is out of the office. This is about people who are more comfortable with their whiteness and their Uncle Tomness. But I think by just focusing on that, you're missing the point of other things. It's like, yeah, you're right. The person who's worried about getting deported from the country or the person who's worried about getting banned. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm not here to feel empathy for anybody. I've been a black man for 30 years and I've been told to feel empathy and I've been called every word under the book and I got to feel more empathy. Tell these white people to get their selves together. Nobody's saying you have to feel empathy, but by thinking that it's just this one thing, you ignore the other things, that's how we're going to lose the next election. Well, I'll say this. Studies, research, and data have a very hard time studying racism and I think that basically to the points that were already made we could not really manage to figure out how many people either had subscribed to some type of racist ideology or had some type of racist feelings or was just a little too comfortable with the racist inflammatory and offensive things that Trump made so until we can really tap into people's hearts and minds we're not really going to know they could just be I don't know I I think that like to Stanley's point like it could be both things you go talk to these white people. I'm going to hit them if they get crazy with me. <laughs> well, I think the point I was making before, too, is that there's this perception of who supported Trump in this election, and it's not just the people that were out there vocally who were, like, in the news, um, you know, calling for his election. It's, like, the secret Trump voters, maybe not so secret, but the people that, like, we didn't see out there, that scares me the most, right? Like, that's what scares me. It's not the people that identified themselves that wore that red hat and said racist stuff in the news and, like, you know, bullied their neighbors. It's the people that didn't do that, that, like, laid back because they knew this is going to make me look a certain way, but I'm still going to vote for this man. Because quiet racist. Still- yeah, and that's, like, the most terrifying thing to me. And those are still people that are reading Breitbart. No, you know, you're absolutely right there. And just to continue about uh, racism and connected to Donald Trump. So the rep that he picked for to be the new CIA director, he actually um, got in trouble and was criticized for for saying that Muslims. Um, hold on. So back in 2000. 20- 2013, he said that Islamic leaders failed to widely condemn the Boston Marathon bombing, and he appeared conflict and they appeared um, complicit in the attack. So he made also uh, some uh, comments that only further divide our company our country especially when it comes to um islamic americans i mean if you're american you all we all felt the the tragedy that happened after the boston marathon and and marathon and 9-11 so basically when you have people of this nature who say things that only foster more division and more hatred especially for a whole group a whole demographic of people that doesn't help and now they're going to be empowered uh in the administration to make policy decisions and to inform the president and to um, basically make decisions that will affect us for the could be for the rest of our lives. Um, on that note, I do know we do need to go to a, a quick break. But again, guys, you can let your voice be heard at 212-650-6903. When we come back from break, we'll continue talking about um, we'll talk about the climate change policy 
Trump's business ethics and the Obamacare Act, what that means. I'm excuse me, the Affordable Care Act and what that means for health care. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I'll say this because we're, you know, we're having a, a difference of opinion here in the studio. You heard it before the break. Um, you know, Democrats need to do a lot of digging to figure out exactly how we're going to rebrand our party, how we're going to continue to reach out to people, and how we're going to reach the 2 million-plus more voters that actually voted for Hillary Clinton in the popular vote, how that can translate into another uh, presidential win and victory when it comes to electoral vote. So, like, I mean, yeah, different studies and research and data is coming out about how and why so many people voted and supported Trump. And, you know, it was unbeknownst to me as someone on the left because I don't subscribe to racist propaganda like Breitbart News and things of that nature. And I don't really have that that meant those type of people in my circle. But it's extremely problematic, I'll say, when someone says, you know, I voted for Trump because of the economy. And when you look at it, it's like, well, you know, what has he proposed when it comes to economy and how will that affect the white working class and people of color, which we're going to discuss here and let your voice be heard. And when you see it doesn't really make sense and we'll tell you why later. It's like so you're 100 percent comfortable with all of the racist, offensive things he says and your excuse is the economy, which also doesn't make sense. I find that problematic. Yeah, I think that to be in a position where you can just focus on the economy and ignore ignore i mean i and there are people in all groups throughout the u.s that did vote for trump um you know whether it was for their in their best interest or certainly not but i think overall if you are in a position where you could ignore the profanity and the the disrespect that was coming out of his mouth and the racist comments and the sexist comments you probably were in a position of power um or at least in some of some privilege, maybe not power, but certainly a privilege that you can ignore the like horrendous statements he was making to vote, you know, for your own concerns. I think that comes with tremendous privilege. Right. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I think that's where sort of my feelings and Stanley's feelings sort of coalesce, which is, uh, you know, there's difference between like people who are, vo- are vo- overtly racist who obviously and absolutely supported Donald Trump, right? The KKK, the white nationalist groups, those people, we have no doubt in our mind that those people are racist. But as Jackie points out, there's this whole other number of group that are in such a position of I- privilege in some ways that they were able to basically divert, divert, like ignore the race-based things. And that's what we have to focus on, those people, right? The people that were like able to put aside the race-based things and basically ignore them and vote for this man anyway based on their misinformation about other issues and i think that that can that makes you racist right like if you can just ignore other groups of people and like obviously if you can be so detached from what's happening in our current conversation in this country and you've ignored the black lives matter movement right you've ignored these like sweeping movements in this country and just sort of been like well it doesn't affect me like i think that makes i'm not arguing that point at all right um and so i think that is a huge problem is that there are people that are like you know what he's saying horrible things i don't like the things that he's saying but it doesn't affect me, so I'm going to vote, you know, in a way that benefits me as a white person. That is extremely problematic. And even if you're not necessarily racist, you're definitely prejudiced and you're complicit in racism. You're complicit, which means yeah. Yeah. that I don't bang with you, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's be, let's be very clear about this. And I, I say that, I've been saying that for the last three weeks and I'll be saying it for the next four years. 
I don't owe these people anything. But nobody's no, saying you do. No, 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 no. Because when you talk about Democrats and people from the left, that's who I am. And you're talking about that the mistake that we made was that we didn't talk to these people's needs. What do you think the last eight years policies have been about? As a person of color, especially as a black man, the, the, the things that I want on the forefront have been put to the back burner plenty of times for other groups. I'm not Muslim, and I'm pissed off because Trump is going after Muslims. I'm not gay, and I'm ticked off because Mike Pence is going to go after gay people. I'm not a woman, and I'm mad because of reproductive rights issues is coming at the table. And these people who heard everything he said decided to put that to the back burner and say, oh, pocketbook issues. Mm, no, no I, don't care, I don't care if it's your mama, your cousin, your sister, or your best friend. That person is deplorable. Uh, listen, I think I, we all agree with that. I think think that was the best way you could have put it and I yeah we've we got a caller on yeah the we line. do have a caller derek let your voice be heard yes I, I thought, can you hear me we can hear you derek all right what i think is the big the elephant in the room that's being ignored and you might you may disagree with me but when uh what handed the democrats head over on the platter to the republicans is when the president signed the gay marriage bill. Now, you may disagree with me. I'm not saying one way or another. I'm just saying this is what was the country's divide over sending a lot of Democrats over to Republicans, and this was the divide of the country. And and, and people's not really speaking on it because we don't want to hurt each other's feelings. I can understand that. But something has to really actually to be discussed you know, about the big elephant in the room. Yeah, that's absolutely not true, sir. That's that's 100% incorrect. For one, Obama did not sign any law having to do with gay marriage at all. The Supreme Court in this country ruled that it's a civil right for gay people to get married. It had to do with the Supreme Court. The president never signed any law having anything to do with gay marriage. Number two, 90% of this country thinks gay people should get married. So people weren't voting for Donald Trump because of gay marriage. They were voting for Donald Trump because they were racist, because they're sexist, because they they were worried about pocketbook issues and ignored blatant racism, sexism, and homophobia. Honestly, more than 90% of this country thinks gay people should be married and should have rights. So that's absolutely incorrect, and it's totally wrong. And Thank just you. to jump on here, we can we can have fair conversations, but just like I'll shut down my own team members and not think they're spewing that BS about these Trump supporters caring about the economy, I'm going to shoot you down for this nonsense about gay people. Listen, Americans don't care about same-sex marriage. Obama didn't sign the bill. Stop the nonsense. Call into another show with that. And even well, just wanted to add to that, even Donald Trump, which I don't know if I agree with him because actions speak louder than words. And we're going to talk about Supreme Court nominations later on. But even Donald Trump has said that SCOTUS should not overturn the gay marriage ruling because Donald Trump doesn't have any real problems with gay people. Surprisingly, although right? Mike Pence certainly does. That's a, Absolutely. A, that that, that's that's a further true. conversation. But yeah. I, to, to continue what Stanley was saying before, I think that. It's a really and Stanley and I had talked about this earlier this week that we're hearing a lot about the left and how it's sold out white, um, the white working class. And I Wait, can I jump on you for yeah. a second? Don't call them working class because that's that's a dog whistle. I don't, I don't I know you don't mean it as that, but it actually is. Okay, because it it, it alludes that everyone else isn't working. Right? So. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, what what is a better term? Knuckle dragon white people. Okay. <laughs> no, just just the white but, but, the angry white voters. Right, the angry white voters and. I, you know, a lot of what we're hearing is, and I'm quoting like the media, like the white working class, we sold them out, right? But you've, I've never heard that argument about any other marginalized group in this country. Like, you know, we as a country have sold out black people or we as a country have sold out Muslims, right? And I'm really sick and tired of hearing about this transac- transactional kind of politics. Like, in order to win, in order to get power, these are the groups that we need to uh, to mobilize instead of 
what are we doing to people in this country? How are we treating black people in this country? How are we treating immigrants in this country? Maybe we should come up with a better, more encompassing policy that, A, gets these people motivated to actually go out and vote so they're not feeling so despondent, and B, treats them as they uh, deserve to be treated. Well, that was what the Republican Party planned to do back in 2012. But instead of going that direction and trying to court more diverse groups of of people that vote, um, they decided to they wanted to speak to even more white people and they went after the white vote and they won the white vote and they won the election. So, I mean, if you're looking at it from their perspective, they won. Why should they try to um, pander or, or try to win over the LGBT community, black folks and Muslims, especially when you have Donald Trump at the helm? I think it's just going to get worse. I mean, but why should either party be engaging in identity politics to begin with? Speak to the issues that Americans care about. About, right? Because my race is a big part of my politics, so you should no, be speaking I, I, to my identity. I, I, I get and that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. I, your, they should speak to your race in terms of policies that will help you and affect you, not in terms of just your race, Alyssa, not in terms of Democrats saying, we just need to win the black vote. But what does that mean? Well, what are Democrats doing to help black people? That's the point that I'm trying to make. And the point that I'm trying to make to you, and, and, I, and I think we're on the same page here, more or less, is that there is no way that I can separate my blackness from my politics because this country has made has led the league in oppressing black people and now they're going to have the other people of color so when you're talking about wanting to get my attention and my support you need to answer the question explicitly because the institution of racism and white supremacy is nice and strong in here and they just got an extra bump of steroids for four years right no I mean I agree with that all I'm saying is like speak to you in terms of like what you're going to do policy wise don't just play the you know like let's win all the Hispanics let's win all the you know what I'm saying like talk to you in terms of I want to fix the criminal justice system. I want to do police reform. I want to deal with some of the issues. But they've been doing that and you see and white people got mad and they voted for Trump because of it. Yeah and I think that I mean they do speak to those issues that you just named for example white people don't feel connected because they're not the ones that are being attacked and targeted when it comes to these policies. They're actually winning and benefiting. The fact that more white people do and engage in drugs and and, and, and marijuana but more black people get arrested for it. They're like hey why why should we fix this? this? working for me. This comes back to the idea of the fact that we now live in a world where civic ignorance is prioritized over civic education Mm -hmm. and facts are negotiable. So when you have a whole part of the country that doesn't believe anything that the mainstream media says, if you tell somebody that the sky is blue, they say, no, it's purple. You know, if you tell somebody that, um, you know, the deficit has actually gone down under Obama, if you tell somebody that more than 20 million people have health insurance and that for the most part, on average, costs of actually gone down, but they don't believe it because they live in their bubble. The other problem is people don't know who they're accountable to. So I literally, I'll give you an example. I was on Governor Cuomo's page the other day, and there was a whole bunch of people on Governor Cuomo's page talking about the NYPD. Well, guess what? Governor Cuomo has absolutely nothing, not one little bitty piece at all to do with the NYPD. That is a New York City issue. It has to do with the mayor. Just like when you talk about different issues and who is accountable to you for each issue. So we have a situation now where not only are facts negotiable, people don't know who's accountable to them. People don't know that if there's an issue with the New York with with the police department, that's the city of New York. If there's an issue with taxes in the state of New York, that's the governor. If there's an issue with health care that is coming from the federal government uh, through healthcare.gov, that's an issue with the federal government. And when people don't know who 
who's accountable to them and they don't know who to blame. They blame whoever Donald Trump and that side tells them to blame. And that's how we end up. And where their we favorite are. people to blame are people of color and women, because we have a country that is more comfortable with ignorant white men who don't know how to do their jobs than qualified people of color and women, which is why even though President Obama reduced the deficit over his last eight years, people think he has quadrupled it. And which is why even though Hillary Clinton has more experience than anyone in our, in our time to be president, she didn't get elected because people are more comfortable with white people that have small hands and even smaller brains running the country. Well, I want to give you one more example. So right now there was an article that just came out in NPR. It was published last night, um, and it, you should definitely check it out. And it's about how white people... Working class white people that live in Kentucky are now freaking out that Paul Ryan is going to voucherize Medicaid and that they're going to lose their health insurance. Kentucky Connect, which is Kentucky's version of Obamacare, has been extremely successful, especially when Steve Bashir, the Democrat, was governor of Kentucky. Now they have a new governor. His name is Matt Bevins. He's extremely conservative. He's been trying to dismantle Kentucky Connect. And now you have all these disillusioned white people that live in the bubble that think that that are literally on Obamacare or are on Medicaid that are benefiting from it that overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump mm-hmm. and yet are now sitting around going, oh, crap, Enjoy my health ride. insurance is going to go away. And it- those are the people I have the least sympathy for because you are the people that don't pay attention to the facts. And if you would have paid attention to the fact that Kentucky Connect is Obamacare, that the Medicaid expansion is why you have health insurance, then maybe you would have gone out and voted for clearly Cl- Hillary Clinton knowing that. But you know what? Hillary could have won Kentucky, I think. Did Hillary spend any resources in Kentucky? Not that many. So we have to address that side of it also. There's the bubble. There's civic ignorance. But there's also the fact that Democrats don't do a good job of explaining themselves in some cases. Well, on that note, we do have to go to a quick break. But continue tuning in to let your voice be heard as we unpack what this uh, President Trump's presidency really means for our country and for us. Stay tuned. I need help. We going steady. We tell me, tell me. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Vladimir Putin, if you are listening, I have always loved Mother Russia and the Kremlin is amazing. <laughs> I would like to pledge my, my my worship to you right now before Donald Trump appoints you as the bizarre vice president. And guys, if you have just tuned in, we have been having a conversation about Donald Trump's problematic policies, his new deal for the blacks, and of course, his weird language and fake news. And now I'm going to throw it back to Selena because she has some more stuff for you to talk about. Yeah, so another big deal under the Trump presidency will be who he will appoint for the Supreme Court nomination. Now, more than likely, we know he has at least one, but he might even have another one. And he's been very clear about saying he wants somebody who will be pro-life. Um, he also wants somebody that will have extreme conservative values. And what th- what will that mean for our country? Well, you know, it's interesting because two things. One, he actually has a whole list of people that he put out in the New York Times even before he got elected. And they're all staunch conservative judges yeah. that are staunchly anti-gay and staunchly pro-life. And, like, these are the things that I was saying before. He can say whatever he wants to say, but actions speak far louder than words. That said, there's also this divide within conservatism, right? You have your libertarian wing of your conservative party, your Rand Pauls, your Justin Amashes, people who are legitimately concerned about like the security state and they think that the government should be smaller. And when they think the government should be smaller, they also think that means civil rights should be protected. Now, Rand Paul may, that may be on the fence 
with respect to that, um, you know, but, you know, like when you're talking about things like the NSA and the Patriot Act and stuff like that, um, that's not the kinds of conservatives that Donald Trump is talking about appointing. When we're talking about conservatives, we're talking about the authoritarian wing of the conservative party. So that's another big thing that a lot of people really need to understand, that there are two different wings of the conservative party. And one of them has a little more overlap with liberals when it comes to civil rights and civil liberties issues. And the other side of the Republican Party is very fascist, very authoritarian. And so we have to ask ourselves when we say conservative, that doesn't that's not the end of the conversation. Conservative how? Conservative in the fascist sense or conservative in the libertarian sense? And the scariest thing about these justices is that it's the former, not the latter. It's conservative in the authoritarian sense, not conservative in the libertarian sense. Well, another thing that is really scary, and I know we wanted to get to, is Roe versus Wade because he does want to appoint somebody that's pro-life. Now, I know that he's been questioned on would he nominate someone who would actually try to overturn Roe versus Wade, which gave you know women the uh, legal authority to uh, do what they want with their bodies when it comes to aborting a pregnancy. Um, now, Jackie, I know you want to speak on that. Yeah, I mean, this is like I, and maybe I'm ridiculous and small-minded and thinking but I never imagined that I would live in a world where I had to fear that Roe v. Wade would be overturned right this is something that I've certainly taken for granted that it exists um, and that it exists to protect women to protect their health as we know um, making abortion illegal doesn't reduce abortion it just makes it unsafe um, and it makes women turn to illegal means to to get an abortion Um, so this is a huge problem and certainly what this means is that states that are progressive on abortion issues um, I suppose we'll continue. I mean, you can, you can. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it would be basically if Roe versus Wade was overturned at the federal level, then it would be up to the states to. Then there would be no longer a federal constitutional right to abortion, but every state has its own constitution. So, for example, right. in New York, under New York law, the the they they have already found that in New York there's a right to. Uh, to a uh, uh, sorry, there's a right to an abortion under the New York State Constitution. So in New York, you would be able to get an abortion legally and easily, just like you have been able to for you know the past thirty years. But in a state like Mississippi, they would turn around and say no more abortions in Mississippi, and so it would lead to a situation where poor women that live in rural areas or specifically in in conservative areas would have to travel, um, you know, sometimes as far as New York in order to be able to seek an abortion. I just want to say that this is not just about abortion. I mean, obviously, Roe right. versus Wade is, but we're also talking about birth control, which I know a lot of my female friends take it because it helps with their period. Some women have, like, very, like, painful flow, so it helps with that. Uh, it but- also helps with not getting pregnant, which if you don't want to get pregnant, that's a great thing and should be available and free, in my opinion, for all women who are, you know, who are interested in taking it. I also concur with that, yes. And it, it allows, it's probably going to create an atmosphere where you can go after organizations like Planned Parenthood that provide um, health care for women's issues um, or just like, like, I guess, women-specific health issues and men can go there as well. Um, but it allows for more carte blanche to go after organizations like that and just pretty much destroy the institution that has become the women's reproductive rights system. No, it's true. And during that 60 Minutes interview when Donald Trump was pressed on these women's issues, he said he didn't pretty much have a problem with a woman actually traveling out of state to terminate her pregnancy, which is preposterous and bizarre and is definitely taking our country back to a place that we do not need to go. But, you know, no, speaking of that, um, I wanted to address before we have to move on the business ethics, which is definitely something that is another mm-hmm. big deal, um, especially I mean, so 
Trump's presidency and his entire campaign was unprecedented. And also the fact that he has so many close ties like into his business affairs. So we know that like as a president, um, it's just morally unethical to, you know, be running a business and then have the ability and authority to make decisions that could be very pro business that could help top corporations and big companies as opposed to small businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So he said what he's going to do is he's going to try to separate himself from his businesses by giving them um, over unto his three eldest children. And he's basically trying to argue that his politics and his children won't be interconnected with his business. But yet Ivanka Trump just went to a meeting that he had overseas when he was basically discussing like presidential affairs and like she was right there with him. So Mm -hmm. are you guys, do you guys think there's any conflict of interest with his three eldest children running his business while he's president? Alyssa has more context for you. I just want to give a headline that Vox.com had today. And they said, if you're worried about the ethics and Donald, worrying about the ethics and Donald Trump's cabinet is like worrying about whether the ice is properly refrigerated in the Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a bigger issue than that. It's not just about his children. I mean, yes, there's a problem with his children because it would violate anti-nepotism laws, which essentially make it illegal for you to give positions. And assuming for a second that, like Jared Kushner said, like, oh, he wouldn't take a salary in a way to get around anti-nepotism laws, that's because he can afford not to do so, which essentially is to say that nepotism laws only apply if you're a poor president, not if you're a rich president. If you're a rich president and your family's rich and they can afford to not take a salary for four years, then they can come work for you. But if you're not, uh, if you, you know, if your family's not rich, then they can't come work for you because they can't afford to not take a salary for four years. So it's basically saying if you're rich, then the anti-nepotism laws don't apply, which just comes back to that divide that we have between the rich and poor that obviously Trump's not fixing is only making worse. Yet all these poor white people from these states voted for him. I digress. The second thing about that is um, Trump may be violating the Constitution the minute he steps into office. Um, there is a very uh, not, uh, it's not a very well-known uh, part of the Constitution, um, but basically it's like this. If if a foreign leader comes to town and he decides whether or not he's going to uh, stay at one of Donald Trump's hotels, that could actually create a problem because you can imagine a foreign leader is going to come to town. They're not going to say, sorry, Mr. President, I'm not going to stay at your hotel. But if they do stay at hotels, then it could look like they're actually being influenced into perpetuating Donald Trump's business in order to basically meet with him. There's a really, really interesting article about this uh, in Think Progress. I recommend that you check it out. Um, They interview Richard. Richard Painter, who is a former, uh, he's the chief ethics counsel to President George W. Bush. um, And he said that Trump's efforts to do business with diplomats is at odds with the provision of the Constitution that is intended to prevent foreign states from effectively buying influence with federal officials. It's called the Constitution's Emoluments Clause, and it provides that no person holding any office um, or of profit or trust under the United States shall, without consent of Congress, accept any present emolument, title, or office of any kind from any king, prince, or foreign state. Um, and so if diplomats go to stay at a Trump hotel, then that could be the very kind of favor that the Constitution actually prevents. So there's many, many ethical issues that are now going to arise that have to do with Trump's family and also with Trump's business. Um, and this also just leads me back to the idea that Republicans let this go for so long is because they expect 
Donald Trump to be impeached so they can get the <laughs> candidate they really want, which is Mike Pence, mm. who's wow. the person they wanted all along. That says a lot. On that note, we are going to wrap this up with final statements from the panel. Um, and, and I just wanted to end by just asking everybody on the panel to you talk about, you know, yeah, we talked about the direction of the country. We talked about how horrible it is. We're basically on a highway to hell. Is there anything or any way that you would encourage people on the left or those who live within marginalized groups to uh, stay protected or to stay encouraged? Is there anything we can do from here? Yeah, vote in 2018 and organize and stay angry because by just walking away from it and saying, like, you don't, you know, like, this isn't what you want to do anymore. You don't want to be involved. Like, by taking this position that you're just so upset about Donald Trump becoming president that, you know, you're not going to engage yourself anymore. That's not the right thing to do. Stay informed. Stay engaged. Stay organized. Keep your anger level up. And let's get out there and vote in 2018. Win back some seats in the Senate. Win back some seats in the House. And maybe we'll have a better chance of obstructing at least some of Donald Trump's agenda and being able to mitigate the damage of a Donald Trump presidency. I totally agree with Alyssa. I think that we have to stay mad. We have to get out and vote in elections leading up, you know, in every election for the next four years and and therefore in local elections, certainly. But I think that it's important to stay mad. I think it's important to seek out community in this time to stay safe and stay angry and strategize. I think it's important to mobilize your own community. I know I'm involved with um, a Jewish organization. I'm a Jew. Obviously, I've talked about it many times on the show before, especially today. Um, and I'm involved with the Jewish organization that is fighting fascism because we've seen this before. We've seen what happens to our own people when this kind of political power takes hold. And we don't want it to happen to ourselves or anybody else. So I would suggest that people organize within their own communities, stay angry, find some role that you can play in this movement and, you know, put pressure on our political system to make the sweeping change that we need to see. Stanley, how do we move forward? Um, a couple of things. One, stay angry. Stay very, very angry and put your foot on Trump's neck every step of the way. Two, if people are open to learning and understanding, like, why they were wrong or, like, why they may be racist or prejudiced, be open and willing to do that with them. However, do not let these white people feel good about their racism, whether it be hard, soft, or or indifferent racism. Those days are over. And, you know... I don't care if it's your uncle or your cousin or your friend who bought you pizza. I'm talking to you, um, Tamon. I don't care. Like I don't care who it is. Tamon said that Steve Bannon wasn't a bad guy because he bought him pizza. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you serious right now? Yes, but this has a point, though, Selena. So I don't like. I don't care who. Like I don't care who it is. Racism and sexism are the two original sins of this country, of this world, to be quite honest. And we can't keep just dancing around the issue. It's time to talk about it. So have those conversations. And for Trump supporters, don't let your president be the reason you catch that fade. Wow. So, yeah, basically, I just want to say for my final comments, I actually wrote a piece on the Huffington Post outlining how we can stay motivated and move forward, even though Trump won this battle. Yes, white America did win. Racist America, sexist America won. But we can still win. Those of us with logic, with reason, with rationale, those of us who love other people and don't just subscribe to white supremacy, those of us who live our who use our privilege 
to help others, people like you, people like me, people like the people in this room, there's a number of things we can do. As Alyssa said, we can prepare for 2018. I know that BuzzFeed is actually, they actually put down a countdown clock to when we can elect the next president in 2020. But I say let's count down to 2018. That's November 6, 2018. Historically, (laughs) Democrats, people of color, and young people do not vote in large numbers when it comes to off-election years like the midterm elections. We've seen this happen in 2010, and that's exactly how Republicans and the Tea Party were were able to overtake our government. Well, it's our turn now. We can take our government back if we start to organize and mobilize. And if you know somebody within the Democratic community that happens to want to run for office, somebody like Stanley who should run for office, we can help them by volunteering for their campaign, helping them to fundraise, even giving via GoFundMe, even if it's $5, because every dollar counts. This is exactly how the Tea Party and Republicans managed to take over local school boards, community boards, and even our state governments and national governments. It's organizing, it's mobilizing, and it's staying charged up. We can no longer take a back seat and say like, well, you know what? Voting doesn't really count. My vote doesn't really matter. You see what happens? No, yes, it does matter. And if we all had this in passion, we had this passion and we brought it to the polls, we would win and we would see more changes. To me, it is bewildering the fact that we elected the first black president. And then right after electing the first black president, we elect a racist, xenophobic, misogynistic billionaire. It does not make sense. What happened? What happened between 2008, 2012 and 2016? We need to get our voices back and we need to make sure that we stay charged up and make these changes. And if you're somebody who's apathetic on the left, please do not talk to me because in my opinion, you're the problem. People that say like, oh, I don't want to confide in a system that doesn't believe in me. Well, let's get the system to believe in us by showing that we have a voice and we have something to say. That's the way to do this. And that's the way we can win. On that note, we do have to take a quick break. But when we come back, Alyssa will be giving us a quickie right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we 